Kia ora. Well, why don't we stand? Here yeah, too. We're going to stand for the reading of Scripture uh, as a way of showing it the respect it deserves. So we're going to be reading today from Matthew 3, 13 through to 17. So feel free to read along. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So with that reading, we've started the ministry of Jesus. Jesus then goes for three years to minister powerfully in all kinds of ways. And we could read the Gospels and see all of that. But we're going to go right to the end, to Matthew 28. And this is the bookending moment of Jesus's ministry. He's now finishing up that season and he's leaving it to the disciples. He's tagging them in. And here are his words to the disciples that day. Verse 16, chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are our readings for today. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Thank you. Those are our texts for today. Jesus being baptized and then Jesus telling the disciples to go. And part of their mission is that they too are to baptize those who are being trained in the way of Jesus. Now, we're doing a series called Sacramental. And we started last week, and we've been talking about sacraments. Now, if you're wondering what that is, if you missed last week, essentially it's this. We have some things that are physical things that we use as a community, as a church, part of our faith. Physical things which convey to us a spiritual reality. We've taken of a sacrament already this morning. We've taken of the communion table. The wine and the juice, sorry, the wine or the juice and the bread, they are sacraments to us, okay? And so we're just talking about that here in our summer series as we're getting started in the year. While the long weekends are on, while people are coming and going, we're just trying to talk about this is something that we're doing. This is something we do all the time. And here's why. Here's what that's all about, in case you've ever wondered. So if you're wondering, what's the communion thing about? And you missed last week. We talked about that last week. We started there. We spoke about dualism. We spoke about this bread and this wine. And we talked about what it represents. They're physical things, bread, which represents Christ's body. Did you hear Gab say that this morning? She said, as we take the bread, this is Christ's body. And we drink the wine or the juice, and this is Christ's blood. These physical things call us into a, a spiritual waking up, a reality, a, a, a sensing, a seeing of something that we wouldn't have seen if we didn't take of those things. Here's what's interesting. We then sang a song which spoke of nothing but the blood of Jesus. Like, like we sang a song 
which kind of became a little bit sacramental as well. We sang a song which took us to that same story, that same moment for our spirit. But yet, if we didn't come to the table, we wouldn't have had that moment together by coming to the table, without coming to the table. That table drew us to these realities. That's what they do. And so when we come to the table, we encounter these sorts of things. This is what I taught on last week. I'm just catching up really quickly. The the table gives us a moment of the hospitality of God, His provision that He's laid out for us. We do not earn it. It's just there for us to receive. We experience the forgiveness of God. We experience the sustenance of God. We experience the mission of God. This is what the table, the sacrament does as we take it together. So we're talking about sacraments while we're turning on the year. And today, I want to shift us from that sacrament that we started at last week, and we're going to come across the table to this next one, water. Today, we are talking about water and water baptism. And that's why the readings today were about Jesus being baptized and then Jesus telling his disciples, go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and do this. Continue this into history. So we're talking about that today. We're talking about the sacrament of Baptism. So if we're talking about water, we should start with water. So let's begin by just sort of painting a bit of a picture from the scriptures about water. Like, why is water even something that we can consider? Why is it important? What what does it even mean to have water involved in this? So when the scriptures open up in Genesis, we have the story of um, God creating the earth, the story of a creator who's creating. And in the opening poem, the opening story of the scriptures, we have these beautiful words as God is speaking and making. He's ordering chaos and nothingness into something, and he's giving it purpose. That is the guts of the story of the creation story. God is making and putting purpose into things. He's putting purpose into what he's making. And so while he's making each of these different days, he's making different things. On day two, God spoke, sky in the middle of the waters, separate the water from water. God made sky. Now, if you're a first century Jew or an Israelite, you're, you're handling the text, the text, and that is the world that you experience. You, you, you don't know of a world where a satellite has gone out from the earth's orbit and sent back, back a picture of a blue marble floating in the universe. Like that's not how you see the world. You have not had that perspective. So they literally had this perspective that they were on this earth that was like a disc and below and around them was water, above them was water and the heavens were kind of this firmament in between holding everything together. And so this is the way that you can see the story here unrolling as as Genesis 1's um, narrative develops. So sky in the middle of the waters, separate the water from the water, God made sky. He separated the water under the sky from the water above the sky and there it was he named sky the heavens it was evening it was morning day two but there's still more water God spoke separate water beneath heaven gather into one place land appear and there it was God named the land earth he named the pooled water ocean and God saw that it was good and he goes on he continues creating eventually creates he creates mankind makes makes mankind in his image it's a fantastic image of the purpose that we have of being the people of God's image bearing nature into the world working with the creation that he has said is good capiche god the creator created creation and he called it good i want you to note just what's going on here the creator created creation The creator created creation, and then he 
blessed it. He calls it good. He affirms it. He says it's good. It's right. The word here is actually shalom as well. It's this word that everything is as it should be. It's as it should be. It's right. It's performing as it's meant to. There's no brokenness in the story. There's nothing that's been misaligned yet. It's as it should be. So note that interaction. God, the creator, has created creation. So when we're talking about sacraments, so last week we spoke about dualism as one of the problems that we encounter when we start to work with these things. Dualism is our hangover from platonic thought that the, that the body and the soul are separate and soul is better and body is bad. So we talked about that last week. I'm not going to recover that. What I just want to dip into today, a problem we encounter with sacrament is something called, um, it's called pantheism. And what pantheism is, is, is the belief that God dwells in the creation. Okay, so like in the English story, have you heard of these things called druids? So druids were pantheists. So they would go out and worship the trees or the rocks because God was in the trees or in the rocks. I want you to notice that in the story of, of Yahweh, that's not who we're talking about. We're not talking about someone who's in the creation. We're talking about the creator who has created creation and called it good. It's different. It's different. Matter is good. Matter is blessed. Matter has been made. And this, this is the Hebrew worldview. The Hebrew worldview was that not of dualism, of spirit and body being separate and pushed away and one's better than the other. It was about unity. It was about the fact that God has blessed the matter around us for good, for us to work in, for us to use, for us to enjoy. It is actually a divine and holy and sacred thing for us to go into the ocean and enjoy swimming in it, if this is true. It's actually a beautiful thing for us to figure out how we can craft some, some boards and go out to some waves and put them on the waves and catch them in and ride, and that fills our, our, our soul with joy. It's good. Because here we are doing what we're made to do. We're working with creation as it was meant to be made, uh, worked with. We are working with what God has made good as we work with these things. So, so notice here, it's not about this thing where, where God is in those things. It's that it has been blessed by God and we too, as the image bearers, are to work with it. It's a little bit of a subtle difference there, but it's an important one to make. Now, if we go back to the Hebrew worldview for a moment, this is the world that they were in. Do you see much water? Do you see much? See, they lived in a very parched land where there wasn't much water. And, and so as a result, without that, they became very serious about it. Because whenever there's absence, that's what we do, right? When there's something missing that we know is important, it becomes even more of a treasure. Just think of even this last year for us as Aucklanders, how we've had water restrictions and we've been a little bit sort of like, oh, how's this going to, you know, four minute showers, oh, you know, like with the absence, it makes us treasure it a little bit more. We look after it. We respect it because we know that it's a, it's a resource that needs to be respected. We know we need it. And so here's the Israelites in a land like this a parched land, a land desperate for water, a land where if there is water, it is treasured because it's so hard to come by. And so they would see water as a gift from God. They would see water as the gift that it is. It's needed for life. It's needed to sustain life. They would see water as a source of nourishment. They would see water as something that you could um, wash and, and you could use for cleaning. They would see it as something that could refresh. Like this is, this is what water is to a person living in that land. And maybe because we can just turn on the tap and turn it on and all those sort of things, maybe we're just losing a sense of just how important it is as something physical in our lives. Water is incredibly important. It is a gift. And so a couple of big moments from Scripture, if we could just paint a picture about water in the Scriptures for a few more moments. 
There's a story that we talked about last week when we're talking about the bread and the wine. We're talking about Passover. The story for, from the Israelites in Egypt when there's the last miracle that eventually makes Pharaoh let the people of God go. But when they get out and they start leaving, they then come to the Red Sea and another miracle happens. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea so that the people of God can walk through the waters into the other land, leaving Egypt behind. They, they, they walk through a, a miracle, this miracle provision of God to the other side. Waters parted, they walk through, waters closed, leaving the land of Egypt behind. Water was one of the main events, one of the main stars in that story. Later on, as the people of God are walking around a bit further, they eventually get to the point where they're about to go into the promised land. And with Joshua, they come to the Jordan River, and the same thing happens again. The Jordan River gets, it stops so that they can cross the Jordan River and they can go into the promised land from there. Actually into the promised land this time. What about later on when we've got Jesus and Jesus is walking on water or Jesus uh, is with his disciples in a boat and, and there's a storm and he calms the storm. He's, he, he turns the waves down and, and, and the disciples in the boat with him that day, they say, who is this man? Which is exactly the right response as you read that story. That's exactly what you meant to ask. Who is this man that he can do that? And there's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 95, where it says, you hold the control of the wind and the waves. And that's exactly the answer that's meant to plonk down into our minds at that point. He's the one who's like Yahweh holding the wind and the waves. He does it. Oh my goodness. Or what about how Jesus, he works with water a little bit more, like the Samaritan woman. There's a woman who comes to the well that day. He meets her there. They're not really meant to actually be talking. And they get in this conversation and they have this conversation about this metaphor to do with water. Where Jesus says, well, with this water, you know, you've come looking for water, but I've, I give you living water. And this is total like metaphorical moment meets reality. And it's very confusing. But at the end of the day, Jesus is using water to make a point. Or what about where Jesus makes a really big point with water when he gathers a, a basin of water and some, a towel and he sits down around the disciples' feet one night and he washes their feet. And with water, he bathes them and cleans off something that a servant was meant to do. And he redefines greatness forever with water. See, water is this amazing moment in scriptures where all kinds of things are happening. Water is the stories of miraculous, like the Red Sea and the Jordan, right through to these moments of metaphor, like washing the disciples' feet or, or when he um, has that conversation with the woman at the well. So all of this to say, in the scriptures, water is, is a pretty big character, featuring in all sorts of ways. But the reminder that I want to make today is that, that, that the water isn't God. God isn't the water. He's not that physical thing. But that physical thing opens us to a spiritual reality. It opens us up to seeing with, with something that the water wants us to see, if we can see it. And so our reading this morning about Jesus being baptized, right through to Jesus sending out his disciples and saying, you go and baptize. This is the text that we're thinking about today as we think about water on our table today. The sacrament of water baptism. What is it trying to get us to see? What does it want us to step into? What is the reality it calls us to? And here's some answers today. A few minutes on this. What is baptism? This here is how we like to baptize here at Central Vineyard. This is Vicky. She was here at the nine o'clock. And this is from 2017. We held a baptism gathering up at the beach, up at Long Bay. We baptized a whole heap of people that afternoon. And, uh, and, and this is what we did. We took people out into the waves. We asked them a question. Do you 
believe that Jesus Christ has died and risen for you. He's forgiven your sins and he has ascended. Uh, he's, he's risen to give you new life and he's ascended to a place on high where he is Lord. Do you believe that? Yes, I do, says Vicky. Great. Dunk. That's how we do it. And we did that times seven for seven people. And then later on in the next year, we did it again for a bunch of other people and a bunch of other people. And I think our last most recent baptism that we've done as a community was Ashley, who we did just before lockdown. And we did Ashley over at Point Chev. And if you were there, it was a crazy, crazy morning. Um, it seemed like half of Auckland decided to go to Point Chev that afternoon. And we literally were having to like find a spot between the stand-up paddle borders to like dunk her. So it was like there was kids here playing with stuff and we kind of like had to go up and around and, and it, was, it was fiddly stuff. But, but it was a, one of those moments when I, I drove home going, oh my goodness, what, what a thing this was today. As she stood in the public space and she did this with us and we, we baptized her. And then we like, we, we got, because there was people like literally supping past us as we're dunking her. Like, kind of like, what are you doing, you know? Um, um, we, we nipped her up into the trees where there's a heap of people and we prayed for her and we worshipped for a while and we did a, did a bunch of things up there. And it was this beautiful tactile moment. And, um, and it's one of the joyful, most delightful things for me as a pastor. It really is. Like it's actually one of the, the most important things that I want to see happen in people's lives is this commitment that they take to do this moment of publicly declaring to the people around them, the community around them, I'm, I'm in, I, I get it. Jesus is Lord and I want in on that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So what is that? What is that moment and why does it matter? Well, I want to take you to Romans chapter 6. Because in Romans chapter 6, we see a little portrait of what baptism is all about quite clearly. So here it is. This is in the Message Bible. Um, so this is the text that we go through with someone who wants to be baptized. We, we talk through this text with them. This is one of the teaching texts we use. It goes like this. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. Because if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Now, now what's going on here? Just, just, just remind yourself again of the Egypt and Israel story. It's the same analogy being drawn. We used to be in the land of slavery, the land where, where sin was our master. And God miraculously has brought us into a new land, a new place. And, and here in Romans, the, the argument's being made. Like, if you're in the new place, then like, why do you want to keep doing the things of the old place? That's essentially what's going on. And Paul's having to argue and say, because when you were baptized, you changed that story. You changed that story. He goes on to say this. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Such a good text for sitting and thinking about baptism. Last week, I drew up a little little um, continuum here. We did this with the, the uh, bread and the wine. This week, we're talking about baptism. So there's some things being mentioned in that text. It's saying, when you were baptized 
into the water, literally the physical water, then he says, this was the spiritual reality. It was like you were entering into Christ's death. Then he says, when you came out of the water, it was like you're entering Christ's resurrection. So the bread and the wine, we talked about that last week. It's Christ's body, Christ's blood. This week, the matter and the spirit that we're dealing with is we're dealing with the fact that have we truly entered into Christ's death? Have we fully grasped Christ's resurrection? That is the spiritual story that this is trying to get us to see today. And this is important because we are storied creatures. We are formed by stories. We live in story. We are framed with story. Story helps us make sense of reality. And so this story, literally, when we enter into baptism, it's framing up the story of the gospel and the good news for us so that we can see it and get it and participate in it. So when I say, well, baptism is simply this, you get into some water and you get lowered down like, you know, you know what happens if you stay in the water, right? You're dead. Well, that's what it's saying. You've entered into a place of death. But you've done that, not that you stay there, you've done it so that you enter back up, rising, resurrected like Jesus. Like here's, this is the gospel story being told as we enter into this thing together. We are storied creatures. And so we live, when we get baptized, we actually place ourselves into that story and say, I'm in, I get it. I want that story to be an important part of my life. We are echoing the story of Israel miraculously leaving Egypt. We're echoing the gospel being played out. We're echoing the church and what the church has clung to. We're placing ourselves into this wonderful grand story of salvation, forgiveness, repentance, and faith. And so that's what brings me to the next part, where storied creatures and the baptism immerses us in that story. And what it also immerses us in is to remind us that there is a cost involved in all of this. There's a cost involved in all of this. You know, the baptism of going under the water is a submersion into death. That is what it is saying. You're placing yourself into a spot of dependence on God. And you're saying, my life, I'm giving it up. You know how it says so often throughout the Gospels, there's things like um, where Jesus says, you know, not my will be done, but your will be done. We are actually enacting that when we choose to go under the water. We're, we're literally saying, your will be done, not my will, your will. We're saying, Jesus is Lord, not me. We're saying, this is about you, not me. We are literally placing our lives down into the story of God who is crucified. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the earthly form of Christ is the form that died on the cross. The image of God is the image of Christ crucified. What he's saying there is, we've talked about this before, but the fact that we see the cruciform God through Christ, we see Christ who reached his hands out to the world, but also lifted his head to his Father, the cruciform shape, something from the things of kingdom, the things of kingdom of God and the things of the world. So the image of God is the image of Christ crucified. It is to this image that the life of the disciples must be conformed. Now, here's the thing about being conformed. Conformed means what we used to hold dear to has to die. Being conformed means we're bending our life into something different, leaving behind what we've carried into that situation. So in other words, goes on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they must be conformed to his 
death. The Christian life is a life of crucifixion. In baptism, the form of Christ's death is oppressed upon his own. They are dead to the flesh and to sin. They are dead to the world, and the world is dead to them. Anybody living in the strength of Christ's baptism lives in the strength of Christ's death. That's Bonhoeffer from The Cost of Discipleship. You know, that story of death doesn't just end at the actual uh, theoretical point of baptism. In the church story, in the, in the history of the church, in the 1500s, we had something called the Reformation. And the Reformation was the split where, where uh, basically in Europe, uh, the reformers wanted to wrestle control out of the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. And part of that was that there was all these little um, different parts of the, sorry, parts of the Reformation was there was different leaders of the Reformation who gathered different followings. And those followings were around uh, theological things, or they were around um, various, various con- uh, convictions. So you had people like Martin Luther, or you had people like John Calvin, and you had a person called Zwingli. Zwingli was someone who actually said, no, when we take the sacraments, sacraments aren't actually sacraments, they're ordinances. And he did this whole thing around the fact that uh, the bread and the wine and baptism and all this sort of stuff, no, they're just ordinances, they're just symbol, that's all they are. And as a result, um, he radicalized this idea that it's only by faith. And by faith is how everything happens and all of this can go. Get rid of it. And that's why the reformers did what they did around Europe and around England. They literally stripped from churches the beauty of those churches, taking crosses, burning them, getting rid of things, because it was all being thrown out with the bathwater. Because faith was being injected into this whole new realm, anything physical was bad. And so they were getting rid of anything of beauty and anything that was representing that stuff. They totally swung the pendulum too far. Anyway, amongst that, There was a group of people called the Anabaptists. And here's the Anabaptists, if you haven't heard of them before. You might have heard of them through different stories of the church. But this is where they started. They started in the Reformation. And the way they started was a couple of guys were talking about this stuff, about Zwingli's stuff and Luther's stuff. And they were like, you know how the Catholic Church baptizes us as infants? Um, How can we be baptized as infants when we haven't made up our decision yet to actually follow Jesus? So technically, if we haven't really followed Jesus and counted the cost of what that is, we haven't made the call on that. So that baptism, that probably isn't legit, right? So we should probably baptize ourselves again. And so they did. They baptized each other. They literally baptized and baptized well. And they they started to do this to other people, hundreds of people around their area. And so what happened is they got the nickname Anabaptist, another baptism, because they were literally baptizing people again, another baptism. So they were the people doing that. And the reformers, this again, this is stuff, this is all political power and church power and all sort of stuff. They get like, you guys are heretics. That's wrong. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, which I'm not going to go into today. But essentially what happened is the reformers, because it was violent and ugly. It was not a nice time. It's not a nice moment of the church story. But what happened is the reformers started turning on the Anabaptists and saying, no, that's wrong. Can't do that. And so they started to kill the Anabaptists. And here's how they did it. They would tie them like this picture. They would tie them up and they would throw them in rivers and they would drown them. And they would, they would then say, there's your other baptism. There's your another baptism. And Anabaptist actually became a derogatory term for them because what was happening was they were dying by a third baptism, a, a drowning. And so this is where, um, this is where like, the Puritan movement comes from. This is where um, the nonviolence theology that a lot of us will have comes from. It comes from the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists lived the Sermon on the Mount very accurately as their theology. You know, um, they, they are incredibly uh, important in our story as Christians in this land. 
There's a whole heap of Anabaptist ideas that we're trying to live as a community. And this is how they started. They started by standing up for a, a baptism that's legit, a baptism where people have decided, and they, they were being killed for it. And I say that to say this, just to remind us, this is costly, everything we're dealing with today. Baptism's not just a cute thing to like fill a couple of Sundays on the calendar of our year. Let's have Baptism Sunday, you know? It's not that. Baptism was costly. It has been fought for by the martyrs. It has been fought for in so many other ways. But I just wanted to bring that story to you as a bit of a church history story to say, literally thousands of martyrs across Europe died because of what they believed about baptism having to be about a legitimate response from us to God. And no one could do it for us. Third thing about baptism is it's physical. And because it's physical, we don't forget it easily. And you know, I'm becoming more and more convinced that I think this might be one of the most important points of baptism. I can still remember I was 15, Opanaki Beach, on the west coast of Taranaki, black sand, miserable day, so cold, so cold, huge, just white waves. It was absolutely ugly. And I remember standing there with my like board shorts on and my towel and my church community, and I'm like, I'm about to go out in that and get dunked. I'm going to go out with my dad a guy called Matthew, who was one of the elders in our church, and a couple of other guys, and they're going to dunk me under that. And our church community did what they always did. They gather around, and we worship first. We went out into the water, and I got dunked, and came back in, and then a towel wrapped around me, and I'm starting to shiver, and, and people start gathering around me and prophesying and praying and speaking over me and encouraging me. And all I could remember as I stood there, like teeth chattering, is I don't really remember much of the prophecies and words that were spoken over me that day, but all I remember is like, I've just suddenly come alive. And I can still literally standing in front of you, I can feel that moment. I can still hear, like I can almost hear sort of in my mind's hearing, if that's even a correct term, mind's eye, mind's hearing, whatever. Mind, I can sort of hear the waves. It's so physical. I have not forgotten that moment. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's what this is all about. The physicality of getting dunked under some water and the washing of that and the experience of that. Maybe that is a big part of why we're called to doing this. I have forgotten so many of the prayers that I've prayed. I've forgotten so many of the sermons that I've even preached. I've forgotten so many of the songs I've sung. I've forgotten so many things that have just been knowledge. But I have not forgotten my baptism. I have not forgotten the physicality of that moment. The other thing about it is I think we don't forget it just because it's weird. It's just weird. Like, I, I haven't forgotten Ashley's baptism because it was just so weird that day as we stood amongst so many people at Point Sheb doing that. I just haven't forgotten it because it's weird. And, and I think that that's a bit like last week. We spoke about the bread and the wine, and we talked about how this is a meal that kind of only makes sense in this context. It actually kind of only works in, in this moment. Um, that doesn't mean you can't have communion in other ways. You can, but just when we do it the way we do it, it's, it's made to work here. And if it looks weird to other people, then so be it. And it's a bit like that with baptism. It's weird. Rachel Howard Evans says this, Sometimes I think what the church needs most is to recover some of its weird. 
There's no sense in sending her through the makeover montage of the chick flick when she'll always be the strange, awkward girl who only gets invited to prom on a dare. In the ritual of baptism, our ancestors acted out the bizarre truth of the Christian identity. We are people who stand totally exposed before evil and death and we declare them powerless against love. There's nothing normal about that. Rachel Howell Evans. You know, maybe this physical and weird thing we do is just another moment to jolt us into reality in amongst a world where there's a lot of just normal, mundane, autopilot kind of things. Maybe it's meant to prick us into a reality that we will not forget for a lifetime. Which brings me to my last little point today. This moment, baptism, it creates a point for us to live our resurrection life from. And if you could remember anything from me today, if you could just remember one thing about this, this baptism talk that we're doing today, I'd love you to remember this. You don't stay under the water. You don't stay under the water. You come back up. If you only went under, that's only half the story being told. You come up. You come up. You come up into God's resurrected life for you right now. You enter it. You live it from there. You know, we must not forsake our baptism. We must not turn from the point in which it has set us off on. We must live with integrity to that moment. We must not live in the opposite direction of it. We will fail, yep, all the time. Like grace, 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 grace for our failings. But still the intention must be we live with faithfulness to that moment of that day when we got on the water and we came out as the resurrected person. And this is a marker in our lives saying, I am a different person now. And so I want to take you back to Romans just for one little last bit. Later on, this is what Paul says. It means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. You know, the analogy I used this morning, I just want to use it again, is this. I think so many of us get baptized and we, we dry up and then we kind of go about our day and we're like, yeah, I did that back there. But actually Christian baptism is to walk around in the belief and the understanding that you're still drenched wet. And you're still walking around dripping days and months and years after the occurrence of that day. You walk around drenched, still leaving a trail of water as you walk the streets and go about your day, as you parent your families, as you work your jobs, as you study at university. You walk around a dripping, wet, baptized believer. So you don't dry up. You continue to live. In this new reality. And that's what it says. You're living in the freedom of God. Maybe some of us just needed to be reminded of that today. That yes, it may have been years ago. may have been a long time ago since you were baptized. I want to say to you today really clearly, you're still wet. You're still wet. It is still good. And you must live from that point into the rest of your reality of this life having encountered that, knowing that, and understanding that, and letting that reframe everything. And so, let's finish up. 
If you have not been baptized, if that's not something you've done, if that's not something that you have, um, have uh, organized, we'd love to be part of that with you. And as I said earlier, one of the big things that we love to do in this community is we love to make it special for you. Uh, we want to make it something that you will remember. And so here's kind of what the usual format is. You um, pick a date and a beach, and we check the water quality of that beach. Very important. Make sure that you can swim in it. Make sure that it's not going to make you sick. We go to that beach. You call a bunch of friends that you want to be there, your family, your whanau. We let the church know and say, this person's getting baptized on this day at this place, and you should come along after church to it. So we head down to the beach. We might worship. We might pray for a while. So shape it the way that it needs to be shaped. And we go out into the water, and we ask you that, that simple and yet life-changing question that will cost you everything. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose and has ascended? That he has paid for your sins, that he has forgiven you, that he wants to live life as your Lord and Savior, and that he ascends on high, he's, he's, he's in a place of, 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 of being the king on the throne. Do you want to live your life in that story? Yes, I do. Great. It's just such a superb moment. I told you before, it's one of my favorite things as a pastor, and it is. It is. So if you want to be baptized, if you're ready for that, if you want to start to figure that out, then uh, come and talk to me. Talk to Rob, who was worship leading this morning. Uh, talk to Gab, who led us in communion. Talk to Alicia. Just talk, talk to someone that looks like they know what they're sort of remotely doing around here in some kind of way. And if you have been baptized, I want to remind you today that you need to go into this world and you still need to live drenched in the reality of what that was. You don't leave it behind. You are still the drenched person. So why don't you stand? And today's benediction is, may you live this week drenched from the waters of your baptism. Let me pray for you. And uh, go and enjoy your Sunday afternoon. May it be a Sabbath. May it be restful. May it be delightful. And may this moment of worship today be something that has helped to connect you with God. May that continue. So let me pray.